This is The Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Hindu Podcast on Books. Today's guest is Soumya Roy, a Mumbai-based journalist turned social entrepreneur. She has just released her first book titled Mountain Tales, Love and Loss in the Municipality of Castaway Belongings. Before we get into the conversation on this book, let me briefly tell you about Soumya, who was an active journalist till about a decade ago, writing for various publications, including the Forbes, Outlook and Mint. In 2010, she co-founded Vandana Foundation with her father, to support the livelihoods of micro-entrepreneurs in Mumbai and rural Maharashtra. This was the time when she met the waste pickers of the Deonar Garbage Mountains and began following their lives. As she began researching, the idea of a book evolved. And Soumya is with us today to tell more about the challenges she faced and the experience of, of writing a not-so-easy book that brings alive the gross disparity between the rich and the poor. Hi, Soumya, and a warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. So let us quickly hear from you. What made you quit journalism and turn into a social entrepreneur? So I was a journalist for about a decade, worked for lots of different publications. And I used to write about different stories, but I was also a business correspondent, wrote about the stock market. And at that point, if you remember, India's economy was booming. There was a consumption boom, personal finance. So people would, you know, if you remember a lot of, you would get these phone calls from people saying, would you like a loan to take a holiday for a new television, for a, for a wedding, for all kinds of different purposes, right? But when sometimes when these phone callers got to know that you lived in a slum, didn't belong to the right profession, didn't belong to the right religion, they would tell you that, hey, you don't, you know, you, are, you belong to our so-called grey list. And we cannot give you this loan. And I used to feel that why is it that just because I'm a middle class person, if I wanted to say, uh, go for a holiday abroad, I could get a loan. But if a poor person wanted a loan, even to, to grow their business, they could not do so or they would get it at a much higher interest rate that they were forced to go to money lender. And so I started my non-profit foundation with that in mind to make, a, it's a small foundation with the savings of a reporter and my father who was a bureaucrat, so with small savings. But the idea was to make low-interest loans available to micro-entrepreneurs, to provide skills training, to provide counselling to, to widows in rural Maharashtra, and also to work in urban in, in, in Mumbai and provide low-interest loans to micro-micro-entrepreneurs. And this is how in 2013, the waste pickers of Devunar began coming to us. So, like, uh, it just automatically happened or any particular incident kind of took you to the waste pickers? There was not a particular incident. I remember very vividly. I mean, different people would come, you know, in that office in those years, I remember. It was like getting a bottom-up view of the city. We were getting, you know, cobblers, women who did home-based businesses, people, all the street food vendors of Bombay, all kinds of people would come to us. And in the same way, one day, because we were a non-profit providing loans, right? So that word was slowly spreading. And we were getting people who made papad, people who sold fish, people who made soft toys. And one day we got these waste pickers. 
and um, i remember vita bai kamble who i talk about in the book belong to that very first group of people who came and um, as i've described you know it was i think it was a long garage like corridor that i had converted into a waiting area and uh, these people the waste pickers of devnar they looked different from any of the other borrowers we had and um, their eyes were shining gleaming full of enthusiasm but their bodies were full of cuts and bruises and their knees were bent and they i mean i could see that poverty and the trauma on their bodies while they were earning more than some of our other borrowers and so i was immediately curious immediately the dark fascination for what is this life what is this place um show me tell me you know yeah that's interesting so what made you choose this one particular family that big family of a teenaged girl called farzana sheikh to explore the lives of the waste pickers how did that happen so as you know there are four families and i should tell you that all the four families were equally reported for some period of time so at when i began i thought it would be about salma and vita bai most of all vita bai then i thought it would be about mohram ali but it was i think at the back of my mind i always knew it was going to be about farzana but i avoided it because there was so much trauma i began thinking of writing this as a magazine story in 2016 and within months so much started happening with farzana who was at the time 17 years old every time i went to her house something was going on with her uh, and over those next few years that i was reporting this i knew that it had to be about her but i didn't want to ask her she knew she had to speak to me but these were not things she wanted to speak about and so for months you know we went back and forth over this where i would be halfway to her house she would say i don't want to talk about this sometimes she would say why do you keep asking me the same things so we avoided this dance you know of knowing it had to be about her but not really wanting to talk about it and then slowly in the most unexpected ways she began talking to me you know sometimes we would just be out for lunch and she would say you know what i said to my brother or what my brother said to me when we were 13 you remember that day what i was wearing and you know those memories would come flooding out at the most unexpected moments and yet they would not stop in those moments either and i think that we needed those months for her to have the strength to tell me for me to have the strength to hear and write about it and yeah so i knew it had to be about her but i avoided it for a while so then finally like what attracted to you what attracted you to her yeah there were two three things that attracted me to her one was that through her i could tell the story as you know it works as a parable so um through her i was able to tell the story of the garbage mountains she was born at their feet and through the arc of her life we could see the mountains growing and you know the city growing because in those years the economy was growing crazily lots of stuff was coming to the garbage mountains and she remembered her you know we think of it as a place of of waste of stink of smell but for her it was a child growing up there right so she had wonderful memories of the place actually she remembered you know everything that we eat the remainder goes there so she remembered eating huge outsized apples that she insisted were not indian she remembered eating ice cream she remembered eating hotel breakfasts you know she remembered her her tryst with the gangs of uh, devnar so through her i was able to tell the story of the mountains through her i was able to tell the story of the increasing wealth of the city and its remainders that she lived off and was eventually crushed in some way 
Yeah, because I I really found your book very hard hitting. You know, like your description of life on the garbage mountains is extremely direct and also very very straightforward and gut wrenching. You know, when you really describe in detail. So, like, how much of you know, like, mentally and physically, were you also preparing yourself because you would be visiting their homes, visiting the place. and uh, i mean uh, you how did you work about i mean apart from meeting her and talking to her like how did the story progress i have a tremendous addiction affection for this place so it it uh, in many many ways one was through my interviews with her but also we lent to several hundred waste pickers all of whom were interviewed in different ways different times to corroborate stories to tell their own stories even if she told me something like this happened to her uh, i would ask waste pickers like how likely is this is this possible and they would say oh it happened to me also or it happened to someone else i know also oh, this happens all the time so even what is being told you know that oh this happened to farzana i also know that this has happened to hundreds of other waste pickers or dozens that's like a report of cross checking fact checking i think certainly lots of cross checking has happened uh, also people who were there when a particular scene happened everyone was interviewed many many times then the, the the second element was i was myself walking the place for a lot of the physical detail i was also walking there by myself so you know how, uh, what do you see when you stand here what is on your left what is on your right what are the seasons like so when she was describing i was also checking that yes in this season what does it look like what does the creek look like in the day in the evening in the dusk you know a lots of things all physically i was checking that was it really like this then documents when they said that oh this is the awful uh, loop then i actually found i happened to find documents official documents that were saying that yes this is where all the cities uh, animal waste goes or police documents that said yes indeed medical waste may have come here there are currently cases made out saying medical waste went there although it probably should not have gone there so there was a lot of documentary research that i later did and i also enjoyed and the most interesting example of this is of course when vita bai told me katra train ni aita and i was like what how could garbage have come here by train like yeah it was a very fascinating point which i also learned for the first time about this kachra train yeah and you will be surprised that then in oxford i found colonial records that showed that indeed there was a kachra train and uh, that it had brought uh, garbage it was a special train as she would call it only dedicated to this place and i thought it was a crazy fantastical story but it was true and i found i corroborated it with the in the oxford uh, bodleian library although i'm sure you could maybe there are some records here in mumbai also that show that but she had very vivid memories of it so lot of documentation my own visits and the memories of the waste pickers these three elements went together i think you also needed a lot of preparation because if you are walking along with them in the garbage heaps and you are as you said you know you are studying what is there what is where and that that gruesome uh, description that you give about you know some body parts when these kids discover some body parts and they go and uh, put it in the river or they i i think they go they make a graveyard they dig a graveyard or something so all that was you know really horrifying to read so how did you kind of encounter all that and navigate your way forward i didn't see body parts myself but i did see other things like uh, some amount of medical waste etc i did see what you read over say a few hours is something that i saw over several years 
so it was sometimes it was difficult funnily my memory is of tremendous warmth because i was welcomed into their homes they would cook for me they would cook their children would scribble in my notebooks and in the middle of all that you know joy and laughter and why are you so skinny and you should eat more would suddenly be and you know the time when we used to find babies in the water and then oh really so what were the babies like so <laughs> it was like lots of things mingling together the hor- the, the the sublime and the horrifying and the and the painful memories of love and loss and the, along with the happy memories of joy and birthday parties was all going together and i was just completely stuck so if you ask me my overwhelming memory is one of joy but i must say it is it is true that where it was it was I, it, and you know these things happen to you twice once when you hear them and once when you write them it's like that incident happens to you again when you write it the second time because that is when i felt it was challenging also for me to channel it correctly through my hands without making it just seem like it was gory or salacious but really bringing out the emotional impact and the way that they had told me and the way that they had felt it in that gut wrenching way that it was for them so what are the major challenges you faced you said you did face some difficulties so could you share some uh, anecdotes yeah i um, obtained lots of documents through uh, right to, through the right to information act most of all they, mostly they were you know not so difficult to find but there was uh, there were some very interesting instances for instance i wanted to find health records and um, so i would uh, when i began going to court it seemed like something would happen there was a tremendous energy to attending court hearings he would set the the judge would set deadlines he would want to monitor those deadlines and i thought great something is going to happen until one day i saw that the case has been going on since 1996 so i said hmm then i wonder why something hasn't happened yet and so i thought why don't i see the court records and at that point court proceedings got excluded from the right to information act the, the courts are not supposed to give us right to information and that was one of the challenging you know experiences that i had because at first i put in an rti which was turned down then they said this needs to be a kind of a semi case in itself so i had to have a lawyer i had to have a hearing with the what is called the protonotary who then after several hearings told me the papers are lost <laughs> and so then again we started this process of rti with all the different parties and when the book was about to close and i had no documents to show the health impact of this on waste pickers what had gone on for 20 years why had this place not closed in the middle of the lockdown i got a call from the minister bmc saying uh you had asked for some art, uh, legal papers to rti yeah we've got some papers why don't you come take a look at them and there were almost 2000 pages of everything that had happened to court over the years what impact it had had on that neighborhood on these waste pickers what were the gases what was the health impact everything was in those papers so this is one instance right so you know this members of this marginalized community i mean there's definitely lots and lots of unspoken trauma so when you were dealing with them when you were talking to them or spending time with them you know what is it that you know struck you most about them intrepidity you know the ability to keep moving i always tell farzana this that i feel if the things that happened to her happened to me i would have just curled up in bed and not wanted to get out <laughs> and uh, yet she had this tri- that you know that that you see that after everything she's going back there she's working she's moving yeah and she's and she seems to be suffering endlessly one after the other i mean there, there doesn't seem to be respite in her life of or you no know, all odd and sad things happening 
and yet when you encounter her that is not the experience you'll have like when you meet her she's like full of joy you know like her memories of this place are not one that that has inflicted this unending you know challenges on her her memory is of like birthday parties finding ice creams finding imported apples having what she calls daru parties finding love you know the place where you found love is always a place of joy for you right she has memories of working through the fire so if you ask the waste pickers of about the famous the epic 2016 files they have no memory of it because they had worked through it so um my uh, my my abiding memory will be one of intrepidity and gumption and tremendous strength see you have touched upon say what should i say one corner of one mega city you know where all the filth comes what do you think you know like does does this community kind of think about uh, their future or relate or relate you know to their community members working elsewhere and do they ask for anything for themselves or they've just got used to that life and as you said some of them may not be looking like it but they make lot of money so i mean in what kind what state of mind are they in and especially the children because you've talked about their education you've talked about their health so i mean uh, collectively how do you assess Probably sometimes it's also of the imagination. They don't know that they can do anything else. This is a place. If you go, you work through the day. You will earn just about enough to get through that day. And getting through that day is the challenge for them. They've gotten through that day. They just think. the next day is a new day so that's there there is certainly a little bit of poverty of imagination of not knowing that any other life is possible for them there's also then of course the lack of education and skills means that the, these jobs that we think of in mega cities you know in the so called gig economy are not they're not really skilled enough for those jobs these are not people who can work in call centers or you know really hold down uh, as you know now most of about 90 to 95% of all jobs in india are informal jobs and what that informality means is that while uh, the employer can keep you on only as long as they want you can also stay only as long as you want and these people don't have the skills with which they can get these jobs and stay in them for a long period of time so i know that even those those waste pickers who do want to do you know say pizza delivery or you know driving a cab or something they find it difficult to get those jobs and if they get them they find it difficult to stay in these jobs it's a challenge for them right so like it goes on for generations did do they succeed in moving out do they succeed in moving out of the of that world some of the characters in my book are still working on the garbage mountain many of them are making tremendous efforts to leave so there there's always varying degrees of success some of them have left and ended up coming back because they don't succeed at other things and you know this is one place where they feel that it's always there waste is never going to stop coming so if all else fails this is always there but it's really amazing that how it gives them happiness i mean there were so many revealing things in your book that you know like we we know a lot of things at a very superficial level but the way you delved into it and i, I and i also learned that you got a lot of uh, fellowships for this project could you a uh, little bit tell us about that Sure. I mean, I was running my nonprofit for many years, and so through that daily grind, I used to feel, as I said, that um, you know, oh, I'm going to write. I'll write a magazine piece, but then not really because I would get sucked into the daily grind of running my nonprofit. So then, in 2017, it so happened that I got two fellowships, two residencies, one after the other. And um, for a girl from Bombay, the first one was in upstate New York. I landed up there. It was just snow all around me, complete quietness. 
only I knew that there were writers in other rooms who were writing. So I had no real option but to just sit there, look at the snow. You know, it quietens your mind. It quietens the noise in your mind. It quietens the... the and, and it brings that world of Deonar's in slow motion in front of you. So you can see it. You can feel it. And you can write it. Otherwise, your mind is so full of so many different things. I think it would have been... Such a scatterbrain otherwise. It's difficult to focus also. Right. Yeah, sorry. I interrupted you. Yeah. So I certainly, you know, so certainly residencies were a great gift for me. One for the time they, you know, that they gave me. You're just locked up in a room. I remember once a customs official in uh, in the US told me, "Madam, can I give you some advice? Lock yourself up in the room when you get to the residency and don't get out till you're done." So that was certainly a gift. No distraction, time to write. And maybe even more than that, the gift of other writers, more gifted writers who I saw more successful, more gifted and yet working even harder than me, chiseling, polishing their craft every single day. What can be a greater inspiration than watching great writers at work? So did you did you get a chance or did you also visit landfills out there in the US? I did. I've just written a piece actually about visiting uh, some landfills in New York City. I visited Fresh Kills, which was uh, the, I think it, it was 2,200 acres. All the uh, garbage of New York City had gone there at one point. Uh, and after 9-11, all the 9-11 debris was buried there and the place was closed finally at that point. And since then, they're slowly turning it into a park. It's going to become one of New York City's biggest parks when it starts opening next year. And slowly it'll open for 20 more years until all the gases have subsided and to me it was a wonderful counterpoint to what Devnar you know is now but could be because that had also been a landfill a huge landfill and it had changed so it filled me with tremendous hope that yes that change is possible yeah, it's very interesting to hear because you also in your book you mention about these uh, garbage dumps which are as high as a uh, 20 feet storied apartment and so if we can also do something and draw a lesson from there and replicate something here do you think that's possible and who who would be instrumental in getting getting it done uh, certainly i mean i think many uh, there are many uh, possibilities for a place like this as you know the government has announced now a 13 billion dollar plan to remediate uh, literally what the prime minister calls garbage mountains of garbage so which is exactly the language that I have used in my book. Uh, and uh, so there is a plan now uh, to repurpose them. I don't think they've announced that are they going to be parks, are they going to be, maybe it could be made from gar- garbage to compost, which could feed parks. It could be waste to energy that creates power. It could be, um, you know, possibly a whole bunch of different things that, that are possible for these. And these are not only in Bombay. There are such garbage mountains outside Delhi, outside Bangalore, outside Calcutta, outside most major cities. But in Deona, does garbage keep entering even now or the court cases have settled it? No, no, garbage is still coming. Even as we speak, the characters in my book are still going there. The amount of garbage has certainly reduced drastically since I began covering Deonar. So um, it's now it's now much less. M- much of it goes to Kanjurman, which is a more mo- said to be a more modern new facility. But having said that, garbage is still coming at this point to Deonar. How do these heaps stand? Like when there is, you know, the, I mean, the, it rains so much in Mumbai. And like, I mean, how, how are they able to stand so tall? How come it doesn't collapse? 
Yeah. So garbage mountains around the world are known for what are called like garbage avalanches, uh, you know, landslides. So in Mumbai, they do layer them with mud. And so we haven't heard of landslides. I've certainly never heard of a landslide of garbage. But while I was reporting even, I heard of land, there were many land, garbage land, uh, landslides around the world that killed waste pickers, including in Addis Ababa. I think more than 100, 150 people died there. And nobody's quite sure how many people lived there, how many people died in this avalanche, because these are all invisible people. People. There have been, uh, you know, fires and landslides in Manila, in Colombo, in Shenzhen, in lots of different places, but they have not been in Dional. Uh, maybe partly because the garbage is layered with mud and held in place, you know, like like literally like a mountain. But about this shocking thing about bulldozers, you know, these kids or, or, or people who go there to scour the garbage, you know, how they come under the wheels of the bulldozers. So that is also quite a revelation. Yeah, it does happen. In fact, I wouldn't say that it happens all the time, every day. But it's not unheard of. This is, uh, there are, I mean, when there, there, there was, a, I remember there was this woman who, who I was talking to and I, yeah, as I told you, all the instances were corroborated by lots of different ways because, so I remember this woman and I talked to her and I said, you know, is this possible? And she said, it happened to me so many years ago, you know, once I was just, and she showed it to me exactly. She said, I was just, and they, they want to get as close as possible to the um, bulldozers as they can so that they get their pick of garbage. Even as it's emptying, they can, they can, they can get their pick and so she said you know my leg just went under the bulldozer and um, it had got completely mangled and I was shocked but she said oh it was totally fine I remember being in hospital for a few weeks and I had a few, I had a couple of you know I had two little my children were young at that point of time and so I, I was treated for several months and then I said well then 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 and she said well then what then I went back to work what could I do goodness <laughs> you know there's this one particular uh, phrase or sentence that you've used in your books book which i like this you said that it's all about the discarded desires of the money people so uh, do you think there's a message in your book because the waste pickers you know they also really contribute in reducing the load of the solid wastes that we generate so at our end the city people or wherever we are whoever it is the amount of waste that we generate we ourselves can reduce it. So is there some kind of an indirect message in your book? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not, I wouldn't maybe use the word message because, you know, who am I to give a message? But certainly an exploration of, I think it does explore those garbage mountains. It did make me think that what gives meaning to our life? I mean, I certainly doused uh, my own, you know, there's another line in the book that said like loneliness, aspiration, you know, insecurity, everything was to be doused in things. And me, like everyone else, certainly I've been guilty of it, you know, order maybe extra dessert or like, you know, as you know, cell phones, we always want new cell phones new heels new shoes whatever clothes and we think that this is going to this gives meaning to our life and soon if it did give meaning to our life then it would maybe not end up there in a few months right so it just made me think about that explore that question then that then what gives meaning to our life if it ends up there and that is something maybe for us to think about what what and and then you see the lives of the waste pickers who don't have so much and yet they are i wouldn't say that their lives are joyful but but that certainly they're showing us that this is not the only thing that gives happiness to our life is not well yeah they, i mean the characters that you have projected they all seem to be having you know some kind of an extraordinary grit and the fact that you know they live in so much filth and in poverty but their health conditions even that I don't know. They seem to be taking it very casually. At the same time, very bravely. They face. They face any adverse situation or any other health condition. Because I, I, I'm, I, I do not know whether what kind of health programs or the health welfare schemes are existing for them. 
lies do they know you know it's not like you know literally when you stand on those garbage, at the peak of the garbage mountains you do see the gleaming new buildings of new navi mumbai across the creek or you know the city of mumbai not very far but it's like it's not very far but it's not for them there is no place in this gleaming new city for them this is their world this is their place with it whether it's with diseases or with you know bonds and relationships and parties this is their world and they they accept it for all its illnesses for all its dangers they they encounter those dangers they live with that trauma so at first they never used to speak about this trauma they would say oh this is you know somebody when i first began speaking to them they would just tell me oh so and so found a gold ring so and so found emeralds so and so you know diamond dust comes here right but then when i kept speaking to them kept speaking to them and they were not telling me of the stink and the smell then i realized that that trauma was coming out in different ways that it was filling their mind in different ways that they were using different kinds of logic to explain it even right when they were talking about oh you know there's a kabis floating here maybe this could be one way in which they're processing the trauma that they're undergoing yeah i think that's a crucial point the way they're processing their trauma so i think there's i mean i was uh, there's some really good news that this book has been published in the US and the UK and also apparently is going to be translated into the Chinese language so how did that happen I kept writing it actually very slowly with most of the book I should okay so he, so first of all I should tell you that almost a full complete draft for several years I wrote without any publishers on board it was just this research project that I had that I enjoyed I remember my friends would laugh at me that you know what is this research you're doing right and so towards the, I almost had a full draft ready when I got an agent uh, a book agent in London and she happened to show it she I think she went out for lunch with the uh, editor of profile books which is a very well known publisher in the UK and she read the first chapter and right over lunch she acquired the book Cecily Gayford and Cecily was just such a wonderful gift for me because she saw that messy draft that I had and she saw the potential that this book would have and she began shaping it with me to make every heighten everything to shape everything and to to very very cleverly put away all the all the literal kachra that I had there in that draft and you know um so I worked with her then right you know just before I, so in the middle you know i kept hearing things were very difficult in the us etc but my book was acquired in a preempt in the U- us and my editor in the us said they also written in slightly different ways because in the uk my editor cecily said that she wanted she said my own experiences had been very interesting and my insights should be a part of the book so some of it should be written in first person when my editor in the us acquired it alessandra bastardi she told me that it's all great except you're coming between the story and the reader so you need to be out of it so it has a different name and a slightly different treatment in the US and what has come here is the UK version with me in it and it's called mountain tales right so after finishing the book are you going back after finishing writing this book after completion of the book did you also uh, feel inclined or you're you still going back uh, to the same families and keeping in touch with them i do i do uh, just today i went to meet farsana she's had a baby oh yeah baby boy and she as you know she's severely anemic and uh, she had to be she needed blood transfusions etc to in order for this to go off smoothly but i must tell you that in some ways our relationship has improved since the publication of the book because now i'm not asking uncomfortable questions all the time and fact checking all the time so now they look forward to my coming and we we like you know eat and we laugh and so I, my relationship has almost improved maybe the comfort level has increased you know of sharing this lesser known secrets 
yeah now you're not there with a pen and paper and they you know they don't have to keep thinking that okay this is going to be in a book somewhere but they're happy they're very happy that the book has come out and uh, they participated so sometimes you know when i give these uh, you know when they see they listen to the podcast and sometimes they like you know what they see or they give their own feedback certainly they are a little bit shy to appear themselves on you know interviews and podcasts but they do listen and they do put their likes on sometimes and you know give their feedback on things so they have certainly participated in every way given photographs videos interviews given their feedback on everything so it's it's a very part it's been a very participatory process do you think that uh, this book will make little difference to their lives or do they themselves really want their lives to change or they are as you said you know they have accepted they have reconciled that this is the best life they can get So um I don't know in a concrete way what can or cannot change for them because it's also the bonds of family and home and all of that that also keep them you know they that is their life and and certainly if something can change I would be more than happy for that but they also feel I remember going when the book came out I took an early copy and went to give it to all the characters in the book and I gave one copy to Hirasuki and uh, who is who, who was a teenager again who I followed for many years and when I gave it to her she had tears in her eyes and she said kisi ko pata to chalega ki hum kaise jiye that at least somebody will know how we live and that itself you know if we say that the book is about unspoken trauma that this is a bomb for them they feel I would not say vindicated, but comforted by the fact that somebody is reading, somebody is knowing, somebody is empathizing with them. I absolutely hear you on that because, as you said, nobody knows how they live, how they lead their lives, and I think you have really given us a very, very strong, powerful, moving story about the waste pickers. And I hope the book does well and does the community also some good. So thank you, Soumya, for joining us for this edition of the podcast. of the hindu on the books and i wish you every success thank you very much so much it was a pleasure to be speaking to you and thank you for your very sensitive reading and writing about my book thank you so much somya thank you for listening to the hindu on books you can now find the hindu's podcast such as in focus and parley on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other major platforms write to us with comments and feedback at socmed4 s o c m e d 4 at the rate thehindu.co.in 